And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, Hope is an incredibly important part of human life. Uh, Hope can be the thing that will keep us going when everything else seems to be telling us to stop. I mean, it might be something as simple as just the hope of the weekend that'll keep you going at work because you know that you've got the weekend to look forward to or the hope of a good holiday coming up. Uh, That can keep you going at work knowing that in the future there will be that chance to have the break from the difficulties that you might face at work. We come this morning to, as Lyndon said, uh, one of the absolute purple passages in the book of Romans, if not in the whole Bible. It's a passage about hope. It's a passage about assurance and confidence in the Christian life. Now, Paul's already covered a a lot of territory so far in Romans. He's, He's outlined for us this incredible gospel message that through faith in Jesus, we have a relationship with God. We're justified in God's sight, that we have peace with God, that we've been set free from sin, set free from the law. Last week we saw that God has given us his Holy Spirit to enable us to live faithful lives in our relationship with him. Now it's all great news, but you've only got to look around to realise we're not in heaven yet. We live in a world where there is pain and hardship and difficulty and suffering and cholera. Everyone's going to experience that pain and suffering in their life. You won't be immune to it. And being a Christian doesn't make you immune to it either. As great as it is to know God personally, there are still a lot of things that will happen in this life that are less than great. We'll continue to live 
in a world that is damaged and tainted by sin. And that's the issue that Paul wants to cover in this section. He wants to face up to the suffering that we may go through, but he also wants to remind his readers that the best is yet to come. Now, Paul starts this section with a pretty bold statement there in verse number 18, if you've got your Bible. Verse 18, Romans chapter 8. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. I remember watching a rugby league grand final a few years ago. It was a pretty one-sided affair. I think Balmain were probably getting thrashed by somebody. Must have been what it was. Uh, But one of the players on the winning team had the ball. He was running up the field, got tackled. There was just a few minutes left to go in this game. And and the player who was on the opposing team who tackled him got up from the tackle and shoved his face into the dirt. He was so angry that his team weren't going to win. And the guy who had his face shoved into the dirt, on any other day, he probably would have got up and thrown a few punches. But on this day, he looked up and he smiled. He had grass and dirt stuck all over his face and he smiled at the guy who had made the tackle. See, he knew that in just a few minutes, he was going to be standing on that podium over there holding the winner's trophy. He knew that it was a foregone conclusion that he was on the winning side. Well, that's Paul says how we should face life. We should face our present sufferings in the same way. He says that whatever you might be going through now, it doesn't compare to what God has in store for you. I always think it sounds a little bit hollow when someone tells you not to worry, when you realise they've never had any worry in their own life anyway. I mean, who are they to tell me not to worry? They don't know what's going on in my life. Well, When the Apostle Paul tells these people that the best is yet to come, that you can consider your present sufferings nothing compared to what God has in store for you, well, here's a man who's been through a fair bit of suffering. In his letter to the Corinthians, they wanted to have super apostles who wore Armani suits and drove really fancy cars. They didn't want apostles that had been through difficulties, but Paul says the difficulties that I've been through in my life, they're the thing that make me look like Jesus. They're the things where I'm suffering for the sake of the gospel. This is what he says in... This is what he says in, uh, not in Acts, but in 2 Corinthians. No, that's not the right one either. We've got the wrong PowerPoint. Let's not worry about that for the moment. Let me read it for you. It comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul's talking about the hardships that he's been through and he says this. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers. I have laboured and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. See, here is a man who understands suffering. Here is a man who has been through an enormous amount 
and most of it for the sake of the gospel. But he can still say that doesn't even compare to what God has in store for us. And he uses two images here. Our first one's there in verse number 19, or starts in verse number 19. He uses this image of childbirth. Look at what he says, verse 19, and then jump down to verse 22. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Now, I can't honestly stand here and say that I know what childbirth feels like. Uh, never delivered a child. I've been in the delivery room when each of my children were born. I've, I've seen enough to know that it's rather uncomfortable. But the thing that stunned me with each of our children arriving was how quickly that pain is forgotten. So I think if men were giving birth to babies, we'd be remembering that pain for a very long time and there'd be a lot of one-child families in the world. But Paul says that that pain is quickly forgotten. And, he, and I'm sure that that's why he chooses this image. He's, he's talking about waiting for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. And while there are things in this life that may be painful, it doesn't compare to what God has in store for us. And the other image that he uses is a similar one. He talks about adoption, us being adopted into God's family. Now, Technically speaking, we're already in the family. If you are someone who has your faith in Jesus, then you can say right here, right now, that you are a child of God. The paperwork's been signed, the adoption has been approved, nothing can change that. But look at what he says in verse 23. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we await eagerly our adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. What Paul's talking about is waiting to move in, waiting to be with our Heavenly Father. But before the adoption is finalised, we're going to continue to live in this world, a world where there may well be suffering and hardship. But again, don't, don't misunderstand what Paul's saying here. He's not saying, well, just grin and bear it. He actually goes on to say that there is a purpose for the difficulties that we are going to face in our life while we're waiting here on earth. Find verse number 28. This is probably one of the most quoted passages in Romans and one of the most reassuring verses in the whole of the Bible. Look, but you've got to understand exactly what Paul is saying here. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. God has not only prepared a wonderful future for us, he promises that he is actually at work now for our good for the good of those who love him. And did you see what the purpose was there? What is God's purpose? Verse 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. 
God's purpose for you is to become more like Jesus. God's purpose, while we wait for the adoption to be completed, is to become more like his son. When God works things for our good, the good that he has in mind for us is that we will be conformed to the image of his son. He wants us to be like Jesus. Now, this is a really important thing to understand. There have been plenty of people who've misread or misunderstood this verse here. Paul is not saying that only good things will happen to those who God loves or who love God. The passage doesn't say that only good things will be in your life. What it says is that God is at work for our good and that good is that we will be conformed to the image of Jesus. And the hardships that we face may be part of that process. In the opening chapter of his letter, James says this, a similar thing about the sufferings that we might go through. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. God is working his purpose in our lives. God is able to use whatever we may face for our good. God is at work for the good of those who loved him. He has promised that he will be. And God can even use those rough times for our good. He can use those circumstances to help us to become more like Jesus. So the best is yet to come, Paul says. Any hardship that we may face down here doesn't compare to what God has in store for us, but anything that we do face down here can be used as part of God's purpose for us to be conformed to the image of his son. Well, this passage finishes with a little reminder of the ironclad certainty that we can have about our future. Some of you may be old enough to remember when Billy Graham came to Australia back in 1979. I was in high school still then. But I remember seeing the interview on television with Mike Willisey. All was running quite smoothly. It was a very friendly chat. Until Billy Graham said something about the fact that he was certain that he was going to heaven. And Mike Willisey was quite incensed by that comment. He thought it was completely arrogant of Billy Graham to think that he could be certain about going to heaven. How can you be certain that you're going to heaven? How can you be certain that you will be with God? Well, what poor old Mike Willisey failed to see was that Billy Graham's confidence wasn't in Billy Graham. Billy Graham's confidence was in the God who had created this world, a God who has promised that we can have that certainty. And these closing verses of Romans chapter 8 sum up the certainty that we can have, the assurance that we can have of being with God, the confidence that we ought to live out in our lives. Pick it up there, Romans chapter 8, and start at verse number 41. What then shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. See, Mike Willisie thought that eternal life or confidence about eternity with God was something that you either had to earn or deserve or work for. But the assurance of eternal life comes because of what God has done for us in Jesus. Faith is about trusting God, but it's also just as much about not trusting yourself, not trusting your efforts. God has declared us not guilty in Jesus and no one can bring a charge against us. No one can say, yeah, but what about when you did this or did that? No one can say, what about that terrible stuff that you did before you were a Christian? God's already said, not guilty. And Jesus is the one who has taken the penalty for us. And did you see that? Verse 34, he is right there at God's side interceding for us. But there's more. Pick it up in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither the height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing, Paul says, nothing that can separate us from the love of God shown to us in Jesus. There is nothing in your past, there is nothing in your future that can separate you from Christ. There are no events that can take place, there are no problems that you will face, there are no forces that you will encounter, there are no circumstances that will arise that can separate you from the love of God if you have your trust in Jesus. If you have a look around the room here this morning... I'm sure that you will know that there are people here this morning who've gone through some tough stuff in life. Some who are going through tough stuff even as we speak. People who face serious and tragic loss. People who face sickness. People going through difficult times because of health problems or relationship problems. The health of loved ones. For some people, the pain and suffering has been largely a private thing and we may not know about it. But for some, it's been a little more public. I have no doubt that Paul wrote this stuff here in Romans chapter 8 to stir the hearts of his readers and to stir our hearts as well. He wants us to remember that there is no hardship in this life that can compare to what God has in store for us. 
It doesn't mean that there won't be hard times ahead or that life will always be enjoyable. But it does mean that we can approach the difficulties that we face in this life with confidence. I heard a story about an older Christian guy who'd gone through a bunch of tough stuff in his life. Health issues for himself, his wife dying, one of his children dying, his business failing. And it was in fact a guy from our church who was travelling with him down to Canberra for work quite regularly. They were doing stuff in Canberra and they chose to drive down there in the car together. Uh, This guy from our church wasn't a Christian at this particular stage, but when he heard this whole story from this guy, like all the stuff that he'd been through in his life, he said, after all of that, after all that's happened to you in your life, how can you still have faith in God? The older man said, are you kidding? It's only been my faith in God that's got me through all of this. Do you see what Paul's saying in this passage? Do you see the hope that he wants us to have? Do you see the assurance that is ours? Do you see the confidence that we can have no matter what we face in this life? Yep, there will be tough times. But we have confidence, no matter what happens, that what God has in store for us doesn't even compare to those tough times that are coming. We have the assurance that no matter what happens, God's the one that's got it all under control. We have certainty because God is for us and no one can bring an accusation against us. We have confidence because God is faithful to his promises. He saved us and will take us to be with him for eternity. We have God's promise that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ. Can't think of a better way to finish than by reading verse 18, the beginning of our passage, and then verse 38 and 39, the closing verses of our passage. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord.